Welcome to our new podcast series on biodiversity net gain. I'm Fiona Sawyer, a professional support lawyer in the Herbert Smith Freehills London planning team. And I'm here with Martin Jarvis, a senior associate in our team. In this series of three episodes, we are discussing how the government proposes to implement the principle of biodiversity net gain for development. We've prepared a client briefing to accompany this series, so please get in touch using the contact details on the podcast homepage if you're interested in receiving a copy. The embedding of environmental net gain is a headline of the government's 25-year plan to improve the environment. The principles for biodiversity gain in planning have been clearly set out in the Environment Bill. Although the bill will not now return to Parliament until autumn at the earliest, there is little doubt that the planning system will soon incorporate a requirement for biodiversity net gain to ensure the protection and promotion of biodiversity alongside the revival of the government's plans for major increases in house building and the infrastructure revolution to support it. In this series, we will take a brief look at what the proposals for biodiversity gain in planning require, the ways in which a development may achieve the biodiversity gain objective, and how the net gain requirement ties in with an important green infrastructure policy in the emerging new London plan, namely urban greening. Today, we're discussing the first of these, what the current proposals in the Environment Bill require for biodiversity net gain. Hello, Martin. Hello. So, Martin, could you start by letting us know more about the proposed planning condition relating to biodiversity net gain? Uh, I can. So the Environment Bill, as currently drafted, says that grants of planning permission in England will be deemed to be granted subject to a planning condition to secure that the biodiversity gain objective is met. And the condition to be imposed is that the development may not begin unless a biodiversity gain plan has been submitted to the planning authority and the planning authority has approved that plan. And what is a biodiversity gain plan? So a biodiversity gain plan is stated to be a plan which relates to the development for which planning permission is to be granted and which specifies a number of prescribed matters being, and there are five prescribed matters, so information about steps taken or to be taken to minimise the adverse effects of development on biodiversity. The pre-development biodiversity value of the on-site habitats, that's the site on which the development is to take place. The post-development biodiversity value of the on-site habitat, so the post-development value on the same site. Details of any registered off-site gain sites allocated to that development and the value of them in relation to it. And details of any biodiversity credits purchased in connection with that development. The planning authority to which a biodiversity gain plan is submitted must approve the plan if and only if it is satisfied of the following matters. Again, there's five matters here. Um, so the first is that the pre-development biodiversity value of the on-site habitat is as specified in the gain plan. So effectively, the plan is correct in that sense. That the post-development biodiversity value of the on-site habitat will be as specified in the biodiversity gain plan that any registered off-site biodiversity gain site specified as allocated to the development is so allocated and has the biodiversity value specified, and we'll discuss biodiversity gain sites more in the second podcast in this series. The fourth matter is that any biodiversity credits specified as purchased for the development have been purchased 
And the last matter is that the biodiversity gain objective is met. Okay, so firstly, the biodiversity gain plan must contain specific information about existing and anticipated on-site and off-site biodiversity values, which needs to be verified and approved by the local planning authority. And second, in approving the plan, the local planning authority has to be satisfied that the development proposal will meet the biodiversity gain objective. So what is the biodiversity gain objective? So the biodiversity gain objective is met if the biodiversity value attributable to the development following completion exceeds the pre-development biodiversity value of the on-site habitat by at least the relevant percentage, and the relevant percentage is 10%, though regulations may be made by the Secretary of State to amend this in the future. So essentially what you're doing is taking the pre-development value and the post-development value and seeing if you've achieved a 10% increase and where you haven't, you're then looking at what else you can do to achieve that through the allocation of biodiversity gain sites or the purchase of credits, again, which we'll discuss in more detail in the second podcast in this series. And in the simplest terms with regards to the condition, it will not be possible to lawfully commence a development subject to the condition unless and until it has been evidenced through the submission of a biodiversity game plan how the development in question achieves an increase in biodiversity value of not less than 10%. Okay, so thank you very much, Martin. Uh, So can you tell us when such a condition is going to be imposed on planning permissions? Will it affect all developments and will it be retrospective? So planning permissions for the development of land in England granted after the provisions come into effect should be deemed to have been granted subject to the biodiversity gain condition. So it's not anticipated that it will apply retrospectively. There are some limited exceptions to the planning permissions which it applies to. Firstly, the requirement will not apply to infrastructure projects of national significance for which development consent is required, so NSIPs. It will not apply to permitted development rights and it will not apply to other development permitted by a development order nor will it apply to urgent crown development. It will be interesting to see if anything comes of the ever hot topic of DCOs being utilised to deliver housing, noting conversations about the revolution of the planning system and how that may need to change in the event that it does so that this would apply to those sorts of developments, which at this time would have been caught. And then secondly, regulations may be made to exclude certain brownfield sites and householder applications there is a brownfield sites register that's to be established. Exactly how that's to be established and what criteria the sites must have to be placed on that is yet to be explained. Regulations may also be made in the future which will modify the requirements for phased developments resulting from reserve matters approvals or conditions. How phasing for the delivery of biodiversity gains across a phased development may be required to align with other phasing requirements for instance, SIL, or any other flexibility to be afforded will be interesting to see. And also what is likely to be of interest is whether and how the new condition will be imposed where planning permissions granted before the provisions come into effect are amended after the provisions are in effect. And there are two questions that arise in relation to the use of Section 73 of the Town and Country Planning Act in this regard. The first of these is whether you can use Section 73 to remove and or vary the biodiversity gain condition once imposed. In this regard, the Environment Bill clearly sets out that Section 73 cannot be used to disapply the biodiversity gain condition. In theory, the wording of the bill, referring to disapplication, would not prevent the condition being modified. However, 
as any variation pursuant to section 73 will result in the grant of a new planning permission, that new planning permission would be required to be deemed to be granted pursuant to the condition in a non-amended form. So any amendment of the condition in that sense would seem to be ineffective. The second question in relation to section 73, and from my perspective, I would say this is of much greater importance, is whether a planning permission granted before the law comes into force, but amended pursuant to section 73 following this, will be subject to the new biodiversity gain condition. The Environment Bill is currently silent on this. There is nothing in the draft bill to address the circumstances where planning permission is granted before the requirement for the biodiversity gain condition comes into force an application is subsequently made to amend that planning permission via section 73 and a new planning permission is subsequently granted which is an amendment of the previous planning permission. So without any specific provisions to address that in such circumstances a biodiversity gain condition is not deemed to be imposed, the only conclusion that can logically be drawn is one is, as that is a grant of planning permission not stated to be excluded from the requirement for the condition to be imposed. This may be an unintended gap in the current bill, as deeming the imposition of the biodiversity gain condition on development not designed to achieve it would have many impacts on development permitted before the law was in force, and is likely to cause numerous difficulties for a developer seeking to otherwise amend a planning permission pursuant to Section 73 of the Town and Country Planning Act. It remains to be seen whether this gap will be addressed in later stages of the Environment Bill. Should it not be, and noting the limitations imposed on the use of Section 73 following the decision in the Finney case, the usefulness of Section 73 to amend planning permissions granted before the law comes into force would seem to be somewhat diminished. Whether to slot out part of a development and slot in a new part rather than amending the planning permission may become a much more familiar topic in those circumstances. That's a really interesting point, Martin. So uh, what about amendments under Section 96A? So that's a bit more straightforward. Section 96A of the 1990 Act is used to make non-material amendments to planning permissions. As with Section 73 variations, Section 96A cannot be used to remove or alter the biodiversity gain condition. But as Section 96A amendments don't result in the grant of a new planning permission, where that route is used to amend a permission that was granted before the law came into force, there should be no risk of the biodiversity gain condition being imposed against it retrospectively. Oh, okay, thanks, Martin. So, what about reserve matters approvals? Are they caught as well? We recently wrote a blog post on the Court of Appeal decision in R on the application of Fulford Parish Council versus the City of York Council. And in that case, it was held that the grant of approvals of reserve matters is not itself a planning permission and an application for such approval is not itself an application for planning permission. Accordingly, the biodiversity gain condition will not be deemed to be imposed on reserve matters approvals for schemes with outline or hybrid planning permission granted before the law comes into force. As any outline or hybrid planning permission granted after the law comes into force will be subject to the condition, how that works with the phasing of approval and reserve matters remains to be seen. Thank you very much for all this, Martin. That is a lot to think about. Thank you. We've reached the end of this podcast. In the next episode, we will set out the ways in which the biodiversity gain objective may be met by a development. If you are interested in receiving a copy of the client briefing we've prepared to accompany this series, please get in touch using the contact details on the podcast homepage. And please also get in touch if you have any questions on this podcast or any others in the series. 
Please note that these podcasts are intended to provide a general overview of our thoughts on how the government proposes to implement the principle of biodiversity net gain. We've tried to ensure that the information we've presented is accurate at the time of recording, but the law can change quickly and a general overview can't account for the many different factors that can affect individual circumstances. So please seek independent legal or professional advice. Thank you for listening.